Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by TikTok. TikTok is the place to discover new music and artists from the latest dance trends to viral video duets. So much of the content I hear about started on TikTok. You discover something new each time you open the app, even your favorite throwback song bubbling up again. Discover more on TikTok. Chris, you should start an Al Pacino impression TikTok account. I think it could get a few million. Uh, We're also brought to you by Heineken, the original lager made with natural ingredients with pure malt and their famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. Like right now, coming out of a Labor Day weekend, I'm sure you had a couple Heinekens, right? Oh, every night. Yeah, delicious. One of the things, the green bottle, when it gets nice and frosty, it just feels like you're you're It's like the platonic ideal of beer when you're Mm. holding that green bottle. Pick up a pack or have it delivered today. And drink responsibly. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network. Coming up, the greatest trick Chris Ryan ever pulled was convincing people he didn't exist. And just like that, he's coming up right after this. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Who is Kaiser Soze? Anybody who goes in there is not coming out alive. Five men must find a myth. Kaiser Soze! Before it destroys them all. I'm going to finish this thing. He's here. Now it's payback. And like that, he's gone. The Usual Suspects, rated R. All right, Chris Ryan is here. It is the 25th anniversary thereabouts of one of the most influential, important, um, impactful, rewatchable 90s movies that we had, The Usual Suspects, which over the last five years... Um, has just faded away. And there are a variety of reasons for that, but we're in the midst of cancel culture in 2020 and things go away, but usually it's people. In this case, it's a movie that if you just watched a movie knowing nothing, you would think, wow, this is an amazing movie. Mm -hmm. Why hasn't this lived the same way that Heat lived on and Pulp Fiction and Boogie Nights and all these other ones from the 90s? And yet it's faded away. And there's two specific reasons for that. One, the director, Brian Singer, you could go on the internet and Google a whole bunch of bad stuff about him. And then Kevin Spacey, who famously was one of the first people got canceled for a variety of reasons that now um, is not even really acting anymore. These are the two most important people in this movie. Chris Ryan, can a movie get canceled for nothing that had anything to do with the movie? I think I'd want to start by making a little bit of a distinction between the idea of cancel culture and reckoning with the legacy of a piece of art and the artists who made it and whether or not, you know, by basically giving something a platform, by talking about something in a reverential way, which is we're going to do with usual suspects, we're essentially alighting or ignoring the trespasses and the, the, you know, alleged crimes that, that some of the people, the main people responsible for this film, Kevin Spacey and Brian Singer, committed or or are accused of committing. So it's really complicated. I think the conversation about whether or not you can separate art from the artist has been going on a lot longer than what our current conception of cancel culture, so to speak, is. Like I don't even know really like what cancel culture means per se. This is as simple as saying, can you enjoy a movie made by people who 
are likely monsters. It's been a theme throughout our lives, right? With sports and movie and TV, where you're kind of weighing the benefits of being in on something when you're not sure about one of the people involved. We see this in sports all the time. You know, you see your your favorite football team is able to get some running back in the third round who was a first-round talent because he did something terrible. And then you think like, oh, well, that's not a guy I really want to root for. Mm -hmm. I remember writing a piece about Michael Vick in 2010. And that that was a good cancel culture guy, right? But before the days of cancel culture where did this terrible thing, paid a huge price, right? Right. Did, threw himself into it after, um, tried to learn as much as he could, tried to be an advocate against animal abuse. Um, there was some cultural stuff too that I, I think people started to realize that might've been one of the reasons he was in the situation he was in. And I think ultimately it ended in a really good place there's still people who hold it against Michael Vick and are out completely. Mm -hmm. um, in this case with Spacey and Singer, it's, it's a little darker, but the point is like, it's a case by case thing. I think we evaluate a lot after the fact, things like that. But for me, it's like when you're talking about movies that just have a beginning, middle and end that happen in a certain year, um, you have to take all this stuff into context when you're evaluating it, right? Like Chinatown, which is one of the greatest movies of the last 50 years. I'm not even talking about the the incest revelation at the end. That's one of the biggest plot twists probably the last 50 years. But Nicholson beating the shit out of Faye Dunaway to get the get the confession out of her, which is a scene that would just You're talking never about stuff out. that happens on screen, not stuff that happens. Yeah, it's stuff the that scenes. happens in a movie yeah. Yeah, where yeah. we're like, oh shit. Um, I think another good example is The Verdict, which is one of my favorite movies the last 40 years. I still think is the greatest Boston movie ever. Paul Newman punches Charlotte Rampling in the face after he mm -hmm. finds out she betrayed him and she really betrayed him. But when you watch it now, it's like startling. Like it, it's, it's really, really hard to watch. And it was hard to watch in 1980. And then 40 years later, it's going to be impossible to watch. Movies are a little different because they're rooted in a certain time. You have to bring the context into it in some degree. And, you know, it's everybody's own decision, right? And you deal with this a lot on The Watch where you and Andy talk about this stuff sometimes. We saw this happen with Game of Thrones a couple years ago, which I thought was pretty crazy where all of a sudden it be there, there was this whole social media frenzy about how women were treated on the show. And the reality of that show is everyone was treated terribly. Every every single type of person was treated horribly. And it's like, what are we, who are we trying to protect? What are we doing? This is a little different. This is just a great movie. And if you didn't know any of the backstories... You'd watch it and go, this is a great movie. I'm really mm -hmm. enjoying myself. I watched it this time around thinking, Spacey. It's just in the back of my head. It's like, sure, was this yeah. guy a monster? It, it's He's so winnable and so likable and all this, but it now there's this little piece that I can't shake. Well, and the same thing goes for Singer for me, because this is a, like such a finely crafted movie that every time there's a really cool cut or every time there's a cool shot or every time the lighting is kind of neat or whatever, I'm like, ah, fucking singer, you know? Right. Like, and maybe that, that actually challenges auteur theory and we should be like great editing, great cinematography, great score, great screenwriting. Like we should distribute the praise beyond just the director here. But I had the same reaction. I, I have this whole, like, I, I, I mean, I, I love this movie. I love right. this movie as a movie, but it was weird. This is the first time I've watched it 
since like I think the most recent singer stuff came out in the Atlantic and and obviously the spacey stuff. And I, you know, I, I've had this issue with like seeing Spacey pop up in all sorts of movies that we've talked about. Uh, both considering talking about these movies on rewatchables or talking about them on big picture. Like I was just watching Margin Call the other day, and I was like, "Christ, Spacey's pretty good in this," you know. But you just it follows you around for those experiences, and it 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 it's it's a really interesting modern conundrum. But it's something that I think people have been grappling with for much longer than that, which is can you separate the art from the artist? Polanski is one of the first people, right? Yeah. I mean, he makes a couple of the greatest movies of the last 50 plus years, including Chinatown, which is a masterpiece, and had to flee the country. Hasn't come back since. I mean, when was the last time he was here? And then he wins wins the Oscar for the piano. And you would think like by 2017 to 2020 range, how we would have treated that versus how they treated it mm-hmm. back then. But even this Oscars year, right? Spacey wins. Mel Gibson wins for Braveheart. It's a huge triumph for him in a whole bunch of different ways. And then he does a variety of dumb things. And and now some people are out on him. And that Braveheart's another one that's not on that much. So when we're just talking about rewatchable stuff, uh, Usual Suspects was on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But I do think it affects the legacy of some of these movies. It's, it's hard to separate them. I'm able to do it just because when I watch this stuff, I'm just watching it for what were they thinking when they made this, you know? And, yeah. And... All the choices that you're making in 1995, how did this compare? It's almost like talking about basketball players. You know, you're like David Thompson in the late 70s. Oh my God. You watch the highlights now and it's like, yeah, we have a a few athletic guards who did the stuff David Thompson did. But in 1977, there were no athletic guards who did this stuff like this. And you have to weigh that in a context. And I think with Usual Suspects, what this movie meant to the mid-90s should not be lost. Um, you're talking about this revolutionary run of these pseudo-independent, but not really because they're getting good actors, but everybody's taking a pay cut and they're kind of scrapping to get money to film certain things, but not 100%. Like they're still, they're okay. Like they were able to get Kevin Spacey and Gabriel Byrne and, and people like that. But you're talking about Pulp and Reservoir Dogs and this movie and Boogie Nights and you know, clerks and mall rats. And there's this whole era. And to me, this movie is an OG of that era. And it's hard to separate this movie from that era. You just can't. Yeah. I mean, all things being equal, I was going to ask you this. So I, last night I was sort of making up this list of crime movies since The Godfather. So crime yeah. movies taking in cop movies. You could be heist movie. You could be any kind of like movie that's sort of set in the underworld. I think the heavyweight champs are kind of like Godfather. I know that you can't have more than one champ, but Godfather, Heat, Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction, Memphis to Society, I'd put in that like category. Godfather 2. Godfather 2, where it's not just about the movie itself. It's about America. It's about something larger. It's about time. It's about, you know, duality and heat or whatever. And then there's lightweight movies like, um, I don't know, like Den of Thieves would be like a lightweight category crime movie really really fun but ultimately disposable trying to think of some other lightweight movies like maybe um like the guy Ritchie ones like lock stock and two smoking barrels or um even like point break i think that there's a a, a argument to be made that usual suspects is the middleweight champion that pound for pound Mm. it's like an elevated crime movie that isn't quite like about anything else other than just telling the story really well and being like a really well-made crime film, but of that ilk, 
it's got real it's got a ton of competition because the middleweight division is like i think you would say drive and even reservoir dogs and out of sight like on a different day i might say a different movie but some days i think usual suspects is the best kind of this the best of this kind of movie at this weight class that like i've ever seen great marketing campaign back in the day yeah who is kaiser soze it it came it was summer 95 I really do think movies had a bigger impact back then because we had less to do. We, they, we didn't even really have the internet yet. And it was like, who is Kaiser Sose? What is this? What's going on here? And then you see the poster and you see those five guys thrown together. And you're like, what the fuck is this movie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like these five guys, Stephen Baldwin, Kevin Pollack. Like what, what, what is this? And then the reviews started coming and singer, and Macquarie had done, uh, what was the movie they did in 93? That was the- uh, Public Access. Public Access. So yeah. they, you know, it was this culture where there were, people were always talking about who's the next filmmaker, who's the next Tarantino, and they were high lottery picks. So there was a lot of buzz with the movie. And, they were, and so I think that there was the Reservoir Dogs blueprint by this point, that you basically have a shoot 'em up tough-talking script with like that felt hip. And right. you attached- at least one, if not multiple, recognizable faces at a low price point, and everybody participated in the profits. And so that 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 was something like I, I can't remember the year of every single one of these, but that was like um, things to do in Denver, and you're dead stuff like that, where you get these big Even ones ensembles. that were bad. Yeah, yeah, right. It, it it's the best version of this type of movie where it's self aware and it still really works. Because even like when Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction are doing it, they're like paving new ground. Nobody even knows if it's going to work. By the time Usual Suspects happens, it's it's there's a calculating piece to it that you can see in the research where these guys are like, hey, even the title, which they got from a spy magazine, was like, great title. Mm-hmm. What if we do a police lineup? And, and it's like, there's a recipe for kind of how to do this correctly. I think the biggest thing that happened to make this movie what it became was the twist at the end, which we're going to talk about. We're going to spoil it. We're going to assume everybody who's listening to this has seen the movie. It's a twist that in 2020 is impossible. Mm -hmm. It just is. This twist happens in 95. It's pre-internet. And as we talked about when we did uh, the Blair Witch podcast on the Rewatchables 99 feed for Luminary, we were like, the Blair Witch is probably the cutoff. Blair Witch, Sixth Sense, 1999. Yeah, probably the cutoff for having a twist because you had a lot of movies with twists in the uh, in the nineties, and Crying even game. like yeah. for this decade, really, it's Gone Girl and Us were the two that were the big twist movies. Gone Girl, everybody knew what the twist was because a lot of people had read the book. Us was pretty well done. I, mm-hmm. I think it was mostly protected, but even in the reviews and the stuff about it, it's like huge twist at the end. You know, and you're like, what? And I was yeah. aware that something was going to happen. And know? I think that going into it after Get Out, people had a familiarity with how Jordan Peele made movies. And I think probably were waiting for something at the end of us, you know? So you're talking greatest movie twists ever. And this is in the conversation. I, re- I wrote down some other ones for you. Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. Crying Game, Chinatown, Psycho, Gone Girl and Us, Empire Strikes Back, I think that counts. Luke, I'm your father. <laughs> yeah. Seven, mm-hmm. Primal Fear, Fight Club, and Memento. I think those are the ones where it's like, there's some sort of voila revelation 
Yeah. Where you're like, oh shit. And then you're like second guessing yourself. It's like, how did I not see that? But this is the best version of it because this movie painstakingly sets up in your mind that it's Gabriel Byrne who is Kaiser Soze and then has a natural ending. Yes. And you're just like, Oh man, that was, I, I should have seen that. I, I, and then Spacey's limping out and you're like, good one, man. You got me. <laughs> and then there's another 10 minutes of the movie. And it's like this, well, cause, and then you have this very long kind of odd shot of Chaz Palminteri drinking coffee. And he's like, takes a sip and he really likes that coffee. He's like, that's damn good coffee. David Lynch style. And you're like, well, how long are we going to watch this guy drink fucking coffee? This is the end of the movie. And then it clicks in. The couple of those that you mentioned, there's got it. There's the twist. There's like literally like, okay, so what is the uh, impact of this new information? But there is also like the flair with which you deliver the pit, the twist. Mm. So to me, this is up there with Primal Fear with, and I don't want to spoil Primal Fear, but like, spoil all of it. Anyone um, listening that should have seen all these movies by now. It's when. Edward Norton starts clapping, you know? And when he does that, you can kind of tell because the accent thing that Richard Gere notices. But when he starts giving Richard Gere a round of applause, you're like, oh my God. And it's so, it's got so much swagger to it. So does Usual Suspects. Crucially, I think that that extra layer of panache was something that they found in the editing room, apparently, where they were, they had the end and they had where the misdirect or whatever, but they didn't have the montage and the voiceover that connected it all, mm. even you know, even though like it, I don't think it was as built into the story as Sixth Sense was, for instance. Well, it was fucking awesome. I'll it was just say that amazing. much. Yes, I didn't have a lot going on in 1995, as we've discussed many times, and this was probably the highlight of my month. The fucking Kaiser Soze. Here was another highlight. You, my buddy Jacko, as you know, um, who's been on on my podcast a million times, my old Holy Cross roommate. We were out drinking after I saw this movie. He hadn't seen it yet. Mm -hmm. Did you spoil this for him? We're like 12 drinks in. He did something that pissed me off. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, I got to tell you something. Kevin Spacey was Kaiser Soze. <laughs> and he was like, no, God damn it. And he flipped out. He was like kicking chairs. Like, God damn it. I was going to see it two days from now. And it was like, <laughs> it was so hilarious. But this was like. You know, there's only been a couple movies where if you saw it, but the other person hadn't seen it yet, you're keeping this secret. You're just wielding it like yeah. this power. But you only um, get to watch Usual Suspects unaware once. So obviously the thing that makes it a, a, such an impressive movie is that you can rewatch it 20 times knowing exactly what's coming. And some people rewatch movies with big twists to be like, okay, I want to watch Sixth Sense and just notice all the little times that it's obvious that Bruce Willis is dead. Mm. I I honestly forget 20 minutes into Usual Suspects every time that Spacey's Kaiser Soze. Well, they set it up where every, apparently, and I didn't even notice this until I did the research after, but every time they have, that they mentioned Soze, Spacey is like the next shot. Oh, so they, they do like little subtle cues to to do this. Brian Singer described the film as double indemnity meets Rashomon and said they made it with the intent of after people know the secret, then the next time they watch it, they'll be picking up all these different things. So there was definitely a, it was definitely intentional. We're going to take a quick break to talk about 
FanDuel, Chris Ryan. Okay. We're teaming up with FanDuel again this football season. We've got something new this time around. All season long, you can play the free Ringer Mega Contest on FanDuel. I'm excited because this is my idea. Here's how it works. Five NFL games against the spread every week. You got to pick them. And shout out to my buddy Gus Ramsey because he was doing this in the ZFL. There's a double down pick. Mm. So one of those five picks is worth two. So you got it. You look at the slate. You like five games. Then you really have to decide which one you like the most. You get one point for every correct pick. Two, if you hit your double down pick, FanDuel will add up your score every week. And if you finish in the top 100 on the season-long leaderboard to make the playoffs and compete for a share of $25,000, it's that simple. Hmm. So um, I have not, I normally I would say, here's who you should pick, but we're taping this before Labor Day weekend. I have not looked at the lines yet because Cousin Sal and I guessed the lines on my podcast, we're going to do it on Tuesday night this week. I've stayed away from the lines. I want to do it nice and fresh. You can play the Ringer Mega Contest for free every week only on FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Mega Contest. Make your picks today. FanDuel.com slash Mega Contest. Let's talk about um, let's talk about Spacey. Okay. All baggage aside. So he makes the usual suspects in seven. In nineteen ninety-five. Yeah. Um, he's somebody that had been bouncing around for a little while, right? Seen him in some things. He was in uh Glenn Garrett, Glenn Ross movies like always like character actor parts. Mm-hmm. He was in the ref. We knew who he was. He he first came on the scene, I think, in Wise Guy in the late eighties. He played uh I want to say he played an arms dealer. I like that show. Oh yeah. He, I forgot. Like an over the top yeah. arms dealer. It's like, who's this guy? And then was just stealing scenes in movies for the next five years. And then it finally happens for him. He wins the Oscar for Usual Suspects. I found this in my research. How many actors do you think won a Best Actor and a Best Supporting Actor? They have those two trophies. Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor. Less than five people. Six. Okay. Including Spacey. Jack Nicholson. Denzel. Jack Lemon, Robert De Niro, and our guy Gene Hackman. Okay. Pretty elite list. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at, at movies almost like you would look at the NBA, it'd be like, how many people have won two MVPs? And you look at the list, you're like, oh, those guys are all fucking awesome. Yeah. Spacey. Um, 96 Oscars. He beats James Cromwell and Babe, Ed Harris and Apollo 13, Brad Pitt and 12 Monkeys, and Tim Roth and Rob Roy. As we've discussed on two different Heat podcasts now, no Heat actors. <laughs> Who would you put for sporting actor? Kilmer? Probably from that. Yeah. Either Kilmer or Trejo. Yeah. A little Sizemore? <laughs> size Just the whole, all five guys from Heat? So this, between this and Seven, he's a major star after this and it leads to American Beauty four years later. There's never been an actor quite like him who... Yeah, was I mean, so alternately creepy and intense, but captivating, and it, it's just kind of weird how his I would imagine because I always felt like he was creepy. I remember seeing Glenn Gary, and I and uh, which I hope we do as a rewatchable one day. And I I remember thinking, and probably not when I saw it for the first time, but you know, I read a bunch of stuff in Premiere around that time where he was like so praising of you know he's just in awe of Jack Lemon. 
And I think he mm. always kind of wanted Jack Lemmon's career where it was like, he's not the, not the hottest guy. He's not an action star. I, I think he, he always, and this isn't even just hindsight, maybe lacked a little bit of Jack Lemmon's like inherent warmth. Like everybody that Kevin Spacey plays has like a little bit of a coldness to him. But I think that like that was the kind of thing, the career he wanted to have. But what's funny is he was just not a likable person like Jack Lemmon. And I think, I think, yeah, it was hard for him to get that across on a screen. And then once he realized that, that led to some of his best parts. I mean, the House of Cards guy is a great example. I kind of like this guy, but I hate this guy. Well, by House of Cards too, he's like, I'm going to ham it up. I'm going to really right. like, you know, and that was the, the the role that like, that was a perfect role for like where he was, where he's like, I'm going to look at the camera. I'm going to have this extravagant accent. You don't feel like he does that in American Beauty? Because he oh, ramps yeah. it up in that one too. Yeah, I think by American sure. Beauty, he's like, fuck it. I'm just, yeah. I'm getting weird. He's just under the speed limit in Usual Suspects. True. Yeah. But would you, you think like, you know, there's the De Niro Pacino generation. And then you have this spacey generation of guys that kind of, we started to know who they were 89 to 92 range. So that's, you know, like Brad Pitt. Um, I guess you could sneak Matt Damon in there. He's probably a little younger than Spacey, but um, I don't know. Who else would you put in there? Where he's like one of, the, one of there's a while there where he's an A-plus dramatic actor and if he's in a movie you at least take it seriously and like what's this i wonder i wonder if this is going to be really good which he he did have that kind of weight for a few years i mean i'm trying to think obviously people of his generation are a little bit older like daniel day lewis would go on to continue oh yeah he's he's one who should be in there but spacey for the most part you know he's in stuff like outbreak i think he's in some other action movies but for the most part is not a genre star like he usually does dramas or comedies right um and could never figure out the comedy piece. No. There was always something very strange about him in comedies. <laughs> right. Like, um, him in Horrible Bosses is like, you do know this is a comedy, right? So Spacey seems like he had some casting casting push with some of this stuff because he definitely recruited a couple guys. But the amazing thing, which I didn't realize when I did the research, none of the actors knew who Kaiser Sose was going to be. Right. I, think, I think he filmed extra scenes to fuck with them so apparently when they, when Singer, so this is what uh, Spacey said on the Colbert Report in 2005. When they screened the movie for all the actors, Gabriel Byrne was so stunned and upset when he found out he wasn't Kaiser Soze that he stormed off. <laughs> <laughs> Went in the parking lot and Singer had to like calm him down for a half hour. He was convinced like he was Kaiser Soze. Didn't know about the last 10 minutes. And, so that and Gabriel Byrne was like, there's no fucking coke. <laughs> Where is it? Uh, the other thing is Christopher McQuarrie won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay and set yeah. up a fairly interesting career for himself over the next 25 years. He was involved with some Mission Impossible movies. Um, he's considered one of the great screenwriters of the last 30 yeah. years, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also probably one of the like um, best ambassadors for screenwriting and storytelling. Like in terms of when you listen to him talk, he has these incredibly long podcast appearances um, where he'll like go into really granular detail about how they made these Mission Impossible movies and he's just so smart about storytelling. We probably don't talk about the writers enough when we do some of these movies. This is a big Goldman thing in his books where he's always like, they always talk about like the director, how great the director did. And he's like, there's eight different people that have to 
hit a home run for a movie to really work. And the writer is one of them. This is, and we also don't, we don't try to get too snooty when we do this pod. Mm -hmm. This is one of those movies where you watch and you're like, man, great fucking screenplay, which I I don't usually say that. It's like, man, this is just really, really, the dialogue's great. The structure's great. Every, Every decision is just really smart. Some of the best moments in this movie are improvised, but I think if you look at the body of Macquarie's work, like Way of the Gun and the Mission Impossible movies, and you can just see that this is a guy who is just like an expert at writing this kind of movie. And this is sort of the the template. This is this is as good as you can do. What's funny is the last Mission Impossible movie from two years ago, I think mm-hmm. is probably the best thing he's done since this movie. Because I thought that movie was excellent. We'll, we'll be doing that as a rewatchables at some point this year. Yeah. Um, that's just great script, great action, great everything, really good cruise. Oh, yeah. And uh, But yeah, it's, it's interesting now he's become almost this like blockbuster visual, like visually identified filmmaker rather than like this, you know, uh, cerebral screenwriter. Uh, Do you presence. think when they ask him about Chris Nolan, he's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see Chris Nolan fly a fucking helicopter. Yeah, eh, it's kind of in my rear view. Roger Ebert. He uh he did not like this movie. So up and down as we head toward our 153. Like, I think Roger must have had like bad fish the night before he saw this. Like it's it seems like a movie he would have liked. One and a half stars. Out I of mean four. that's beneath. It's it's like bonkers. It gets Didn't worse. Didn't he like cocktail more than this? Yes, it gets worse. Quote, confusing and uninteresting. Quote, to the degree that I do understand, I don't care. Put this film on his most hated films list. I wonder whether or not Raj was having guys saying fuck you to each other in movies fatigue at this point. Because there were so many fake Tarantino, everybody's pointing a gun at one another and and swearing that I wonder whether he was just like, I'm fucking tapping out of this. I'm out. And I'm going to bury this genre with this one and a half star review. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, normally he likes when like well-structured characters and this is a very classical movie. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised. Really strange. $6 million budget made 34 million bucks. God only knows how many times it was on from a rewatchable standpoint as a cable movie. Right. I would say probably a 15 year run for this Mm -hmm. movie. Somewhere in the early 2010s kind of faded away. So just a just a classic. Before we uh before we break it down, can I interest you in some ruffles? Yeah. Do you like I ruffles? I love ruffles. Who doesn't yeah. like ruffles? Well, they have ruffles double crunch chips. They're heartier and crunchier than your favorite classic ruffles with more delicious ruffles flavor in every bite. That sounds great. Every chip cooked to golden perfection to provide two times the Ruffles crunch. How do they figure out two times the Russell's Ruffles crunch? I don't ask questions. It's inconceivable. Of the Ruffles people. I just let them make me have me. Um, they flavor. They deliver a flavorful crunch with every chip. I'm not surprised. New deeper ridges. And uh, kettle cooked. And if you like spice, double crunch hot wings flavor from Ruffles. That sounds amazing. Deep cut Ruffles ridges. Kettle cooked to crispy, crunchy perfection with the spicy, tangy flavor of classic hot wings. I don't know what would happen if we had those in my house with my son. 
I just I just picture him wandering around. You probably like find him with a bag over his head because he had tried to eat to the bottom. He's trying to lick the resident on the bottom. Own your ridges. Find a bag of Ruffles Double Crunch Hot Wings at a store near you. All right, most rewatchable scene. The lineup slash interrogation combo. The lineup's just a a, a semi-iconic scene. The first 17 minutes. Masterclass. Oh. Absolute masterclass. Which what is you're doing. The introduction of the characters, the roundup, the, the lineup, the interrogation, and the holding pen. Do you want to do Stephen Baldwin in the lineup right now? Go ahead. I'll give it to you. So... I, you just got to understand that like the, it, it's pretty rare to get all the sort of big stars in a movie together doing the same line at the same time. And there was a lot of horsing around going on on the set that day. Uh, apparently, like Benicio Del Toro was farting a lot. That's why they're yeah. laughing a lot on screen. Great fart stuff. Dwight but Howard you, approved. You know, he's up there with some heavyweights. And Stephen Baldwin, who's been, you know, kind of banging around Hollywood for a little while, decides to try and light the film going through the camera on fire <laughs> by turning to the camera and goes, give me the fucking keys, you cocksucker motherfucker. Ah! <laughs> give me the fucking keys, you fucking cocksucker motherfucker. Ah! Knock it off. Get back. Number three, <laughs> step forward. And it's like at that moment, you're like, all bets are off. I have no idea what's going to happen. These guys, I got Benicio's doing this voice. Kevin Pollock's doing one-liners. Gabriel Byrne thinks he's in a Eugene O'Neill play and Stephen Baldwin is in a spaghetti western. It's amazing. <laughs> Stephen Baldwin's like, someday, 25 years from now, there's going to be a podcast Give called The Rewatchables. They're going to have an overacting award and I'm going for it. I'm grabbing it. Uh, some other great stuff in there. The, in the interrogation right after, which I think has to be included when they're all yeah. in the same room. And uh, and they start going at each other. And Pollock does the does the. What would you do if you got thrown into jail? And he's like, "Fuck your father," and then have a snack. You know what happens if you do another turn in the joint? Uh, fuck your father in the shower and then have a snack. You're gonna charge me, dickhead. I'll charge you when I'm ready. He Pollock's just like. I'm tired of this Lieutenant Weinberg shit. Yes, yes. Where I'm just like Tom Cruise. I'm just setting picks for Tom Cruise. I'm going for it this time. Yeah. Get mine. Get my shots. Clear out for me, ISO. We can place you in Queens on the night of the robbery. It's like, really? I live in Queens. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, next one would be the uh, police heist. I love uh, the, New York's. I finest. love three vans. Just Let me tell you something. Off. Here's a new rewatchables rule. If we have more than one ambush, good movie. If we have more than two things that could be classified as a heist, great movie. And if we have more than three ambush slash heists, oh my God, immortal. <laughs> Citizen uh, Kane. <laughs> I like when they pour the stuff on the car to set it on fire too, because that's kind of the Reservoir Dogs moment of this movie. You're like, what's going on? Are they yeah, going right. to burn these cops alive? But they get out. New York's um, finest taxi service is just a great, great, like you just feel so in the world of this movie when they're like, here's this thing you wouldn't really know about unless you like read the New York Post every day. And right. it's just like that that picking up the jeweler from, from LaGuardia like that. It's so cool. Next one I have is our first Redfoot scene. And we're going to go into <laughs> Redfoot later. But Redfoot comes in fresh off, <laughs> fresh off uh, trying to rape Ving Rhames in the cellar in Pulp Fiction. Is <laughs> <laughs> our, our next sighting of him. We're like, oh, this guy. <laughs> Oh my God! Here we go, and uh, that whole scene is awesome. I love yeah. Redfoot. What do you think? Um, 
how, how did they like set that meeting up? Would you think so? Like McManus calls Redfoot. He's like, hey, we're in L.A. Uh, let me know where you want to meet. And Redfoot's like, there's this great temple by the ocean. Okay. Right. And no one's ever there. It's totally inconspicuous so that eight guys can go <laughs> shake each other's hands and have this great backdrop. But no one will notice us. There are parts of LA like that that I've noticed just from driving my daughter around for soccer and all these weird venues. Like there, there's a part in uh, El Segundo uh-huh. where it's like right, right before you hit Manhattan Beach and Manhattan Beach, and there's just a lot of weirdness going on, and it's it feels like a number one place you'd probably want to bury a body if you had to get rid but of. But do you one. often see like nine guys like standing? I, that's around a place in a where I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if there was just nine guys facing <laughs> each other with car headlights. Uh, next rewatch, we seeing Kobayashi's first scene. Mister Soze would like you to stop the deal. If you choose, you may wait until after the buy. Whatever money changes hands is yours. Mr. Soze would like you to get to the boat and destroy the cocaine on board. And then you will be free of your obligations to Mr. Soze. Your mother wanted a taste. I gave her a little taste. <laughs> that whole scene where he lays out everything. And he's great. And that that's Pete Postlewaite. Great character actor. But this is probably my favorite version of him. In so this is a, a huge Pulp Fiction, crime fiction trope is to have a character, an expositor, like, uh, my dad used to call him like Basil Ex- Exposition because it would be a character who showed up just to do expository dialogue. And he shows up just to lay the groundwork for the conspiracy that these characters are enmeshed in. Mm. And there's something so mesmerizing and also just a little bit off about Kobayashi. Like, is he English? Is he Irish? Like, I can't like quite get it. And then when you realize at the end that he is essentially, while still a character who picks up verbal, but it's a person that Kaiser Verbal is making up a little bit. Yeah. It really well, he definitely is made like, up the name, but he does yeah. he at least we know he exists because he picks right. him up at the end. Right. The Kaiser Soze story. So they let him know they meant business. <laughs> Tell him they want his territory, all his business. Soze looks over the faces of his family. Then he showed these men of will what will really was. An epic three minutes. And just so you know, my second favorite scene in the movie. Second favorite. Okay. I just love it. And I actually forgot, even though I've seen this movie a bunch of times, that he starts shooting his own kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh, it's oh, that's right. He's he the worst guy who of, ever lived. He's he the devil. He showed these men of Will what Will was, yeah. And then he lets in that reaction of the one guy who's like, what the fuck is going on? And he's yeah. like, and he you, gets you to can live. Go. Yeah. Go go tell the story. So then this poor guy runs back and uh he's like, So uh how'd the Soze hit go? <laughs> well, <laughs> If your parents know anyone who owes them money, you're yeah. gonna want them to move out of that house. <laughs> we're 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 we should be afraid of this guy. Let's get yeah. the fuck out of here. That scene's great. Space it does a good job of that. I the, love. Uh, I I still also love like when you watch it the first time. You were like, oh wow, so says the devil. But like in retrospect, the way that he is conceiving of himself is essentially like Glenn Danzig. <laughs> mm, <you're right. laughs> 
<laughs> Kaiser Soze is just like a, a metalhead. Yeah. He's like, mother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the boat shootout. Chris was, was there any Coke on the, on the boat? There's no fucking Coke. There is no fucking Coke. I've been up and down this ship. I've been in every room. There's no fucking and then uh that poor guy in the cell it's like he's here he's here i know he's here that's him i'm telling you that's him i know he's here <laughs> you can understand that's him shut up that's him you hear me i'm telling you it's kaiser Soze. God, that's so incredible. He's yeah. so, he that guy's amazing. Um the last palmentary spacey scene, which seems mm. like the ending. The reveal. Palmentary yeah. so condescending. I'm smarter than you. You're a cripple. You're dumb. You're blah blah blah. And, and the way they set that up. Incredible. And then uh and then the ending, which I gotta say, when this movie's on from flipping channels and we're at the boat, I'm in. Yeah. No, I'm not I'm not yeah. leaving from that point on. I'm just not. I don't care what's going on. If we have to be late for dinner, so be it. The uh the ending though. I would say that the last Chaz and Spacey scene leading into the ending would be my pick for most rewatch. Like when he chases him all the way onto the floor. The whole thing. Yeah. yeah, that's great. The that's look great. on Pete Postlethwaite's face when he put when he gets in, the leg slowly becoming not a limp, everything. Great stuff. Yeah, you have to go with the reveal. I, I there's a lot of seconds, but I, I the only other ones that I would throw in there that you missed were um, the aborted Kobayashi hit where Edie is at the office building. Mm. But but Kobayashi's like, before you do me in, <laughs> let yeah. me finish my business with Edie Finnerin. And then yeah, that's pretty much it for rewatchable scenes. But it's got to be the reveal. What stage the best other than me ruining the movie for Jacko? Um, every actor performance. Yeah. So we and always just, talked about instead of Deanne Waiters and instead of who won the movie, having a who stole the movie. Mm -hmm. So if you had a who stole the movie category and you had Pollock, Baldwin, Del Toro, um, Del Toro Redfoot, Pipasso's Hidea? Hidea's Hidea. 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 Uh, who, who stole the movie for you? I think Benicio gets almost out the door with the movie. But he dies too early to truly steal it. Yeah. But it's a testament to him that when his character dies, you're not sad because you're like, oh, Fenster seemed like a, such a good guy. You're you're sad because you're like, shit, I really wished he had been in the rest of the movie. Like you wanted, you didn't want him to leave yet. So it's it's for me, it's between probably between Baldwin and Del Toro. I, for me, it's Del Toro. He just was such an obvious star after this movie. It was one of those. And it's a nothing burger part. Nothing, which is why he mumbles. There's yeah. a bunch of good research about this, about uh, he didn't love his part because the guy died first. He felt like he ultimately had no real impact on the movie other than to establish that Soze was evil. So he's like, how do I stand yeah. out? Does this crazy mumble thing. None of the actors know what's going on. There's multiple points where they... They literally can't understand him, and that's part of the you know the scene that they ended up keeping, and which this guy I, I didn't you know he he there was some cultish momentum with him 
Benicio, heading into this th- th- movie. This but is a gr- I, great example, though, of the, the money ball aspect of the casting in this movie, where yeah. they're getting a bunch of guys a little older. You know, Del Toro's got to be in his mid-30s at this point, I think. I would say um, a little younger. But yeah, he'd, had, bounce, he'd bounced around a little bit. He'd been in some good things, but wasn't He had famous. done Indian Runner, which was like kind of the best movie he had done so far, I think. And mm. I think it was a little bit like an actor's actor maybe, but I don't know if he was like a hot commodity. And then he comes out and he's just like, he'll flip you. Flip you for real. What are you saying? I say he'll flip you. He'll what? Flip you. Flip you for real. Yeah, I'm shaking. Come on. Okay. Answer my question. And you hit me in the back. Hello. He's just he's <laughs> just like, well, he's, who is this guy? He's really going for it. He said he actually spent some time developing the garbled speech and yeah. you know, put some real thought into that. Um another what's aged the best when Redfoot flicks the cigarette into the face of Stephen Baldwin. It was actually an accident, which is why his ac- which is why his reaction was like that. But it's a fun thing to look for when you watch it. Another Woods Age the Best. The poster, 25 oh, years later, still, still great. It was great in the moment, though. Like in 1995, it was like, wow, great poster. And the other thing was the trailer, which, you know, more people were going to theaters back then and you'd see these trailers for 10 different movies. And that was one I remember watching being like, because it was basically him telling the Kaiser Soze story, Spacey, as the movie trailer and Mm -hmm. not giving too much away. And he's doing this whole monologue and you're like, what is this movie? And then you see the poster and then they do the, who was Kaiser Soze? It was just, it was masterful marketing. By the time they were done, I wanted to see the movie and I I don't even know if it's replicable. Um, One more what's age the best was just Chaz and Spacey probably have what thirty five minutes together in this movie, and, and they shot it all before the rest of the movie was shot, and they only had Paul and Terry for like a week, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's almost like a play. It is. It's it's a little like Few Good Men courtroom drama ish, the way they do it, and the two guys are just really good actors, and it's really fun to and watch was, them go. Paul and Terry was basically the hottest thing in this movie, right? Yeah. he was coming off of Bronxdale and people were like, this is a real, this guy's a serious talent. Well, they said that was the key part. They're trying to get a star. We'll go into <laughs> and casting what ifs. And uh, and one of the reasons was they needed to get more funding for the movie. So when Palminteri signed on, he was red hot at that point. He had done Bronxdale and one other thing that um, I, I have it coming up. But um, when he signed on, it was like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Now, now the Europeans are going to give us an extra million bucks or wherever, right. wherever they're getting the money. Got that parliamentary money. Another Woods Age, the best. He's here. He's here. I'm telling you, he's here. All the reactions to Kaiser when they first start bringing him up were like, John Carlos Esposito's like, no shit. Right. You know, and then the guy, you know, all, all of that stuff is great. Another Woods Age, the best for me is, and No Way Out has this too, and some other ones where, the facts of what the person looks like that you know is coming near the end of the movie and then shit's going down and you start to see the facts spitting out the thing slowly and then nobody sees it. And it's this 90s trope that doesn't exist anymore because now you would just text the dude like, yo, verbal's Kaiser Soze. I'm like, what? You look at your phone. (laughs) There'd be no facts. Yeah. But I do enjoy like the drama of, uh, of a good facts. What else is age the best for you? I wanted to, I, you know, there's a couple of things that I couldn't tell whether they aged the best or the worst. Two things I wanted to discuss with you. One, 
I've been thinking about this for 25 years. Just in a, in a tremendous urine stream from Kaiser Soze in the beginning of the film to, to, to blot out that fire. Like I, and, I've, It's like a garden hose is on. <laughs> and apparently there was some thought put into it because Verbal mentions later how he eats certain things and it makes his urine gelatinous. Yeah. So when they had the guy pee at the beginning, they wanted to tip off that it might be verbal. So they I'll made the urine if like I'm ever thicker. Next, if I'm next to a guy at Dodger Stadium and that happens, I'm just going to be like, are you Clark Kent? Like, what's ha- what's happening? <laughs> like, no, do you- if you were next to that guy, we'd all be drenched in urine. Like the six guys around him, the splash would be 35 miles just, an hour. I remember like the, f- the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, I guess that's how like if you pee from that height, that might be. But like, I assure you that is not possible. So there's that. And then another best worst thing, but I, I think it's best is um is Redfoot's crew. The guys yeah. who show up with him at night all look like dudes who would have gotten their arms broken by Sam Elliott and Roadhouse. <laughs> like they all have like their t-shirts tucked into their jeans and are wearing some weird like fur-lined jean jacket and they have perms. They're like this vestige of the earlier 90s that show up in this crucial mid-90s movie. Redfoot. We're getting him later. What's age the worst? We talked about Spacey and Singer. Not great. Uh, did you say Baldwin had a Confederate flag hat? I missed that. Yeah. Uh, there's movie? a moment where Baldwin is wearing a motorcycle jacket and a Confederate flag soldier hat. And it is like the worst outfit of the 90s. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. It's amazing. Um, another what's age the worst who you thought Kaiser Soze was the first time you saw this movie. So I remember when I saw this movie, I thought it was going to be Kobayashi. Mm. So the whole time, especially, it just seemed like he was in the mix. He knew what was going on. He knew all the files on these dudes. And it was like, well, obviously it's Kaiser Soze. I mean, the best would have been as if it was Susie Amos. If you were going to remake <laughs> right. it now, it would have been Edie. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, but then when it wasn't him, I was like, oh man. It's Gabriel Byrne. Oh, all right. Good twist. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't him either. I, I got to put in what stage the worst. Palm and Terry's hair. I, I don't it's know not, if it's a wig. That's a wig. Yeah. A toupee, whatever's going on. But it it never struck me as that phony in the movie. But now it's starting to look like um like he's like Burt Reynolds and Stroker Ace. Yeah. Yeah. There's too many close-ups where you're like, whoa, that looks like a like a sponge. It's a rug. Yeah. Yeah. What else age, age the worst for you? I've for a very long time and I've never been able to figure this out is <laughs> this is stupid but once Keaton gets arrested at Mondino's when he's having lunch and he's doing his presentation for his business the camera just stays with Susie Amos as she speaks French for like 20 seconds and she tries to like shrug it off and I'm like what's the point of this like I, I still want to know why we just hang out with Susie Amos being like yeah I don't know what the big deal is like who knows? Let's keep eating lunch in yeah, French with no subtitles. It's bad. It's a bad scene. I agree. Casting what ifs. Stephen Baldwin was the second choice. Do you know who the first choice was? You're going to be so excited. Who is the first choice? You love this guy. Want to go 20 questions? Was he in heat? <laughs> no, he was not in heat. Michael Bean. As McManus? <laughs> Shit. I knew that would get that reaction. Wow. Turned it down, said it was a huge mistake after the fact. I think he's got a couple of those. That's he didn't want rough, it. man. 
Didn't want to be famous. But I feel like I would Michael Bean have been able to be really bring give me the keys, you cocksucking motherfucker. It's it's a less funny movie. Yeah. I was bummed though. I've always loved that guy. We've talked about it before. I'm all this in is on a, Michael This Bean. is a real like they gave they gave this script to everybody in town. So yep. depending on your definition of casting, what if it's all of Hollywood? That one's true. Um the Palm and Terry role was offered to Chris Walken and Bob De Niro. You might have heard of them. I have. Walken feels like he should have been in this movie. I'm not sure what part. Walken would have been an incredible Kobayashi. Or a good Redfoot. <laughs> <laughs> but they turned it down. You know who else they had? Come in and read for the part. Al Pacino. I don't understand why Pacino had to read for this part. Like, why did that's he? Why, he have to, that's why it's half-ass casting. What if? Yeah, yeah. It's it seems suspicious. I was trying to figure out Pacino being like, verbal comes in, <laughs> and, and like, dude, I don't know what his Pacino <laughs> moment would have been in this. You're a you're a cripple. You're a dumb cripple. You know Ruby Dima? He's in Attica now. <laughs> <laughs> Very close. Personal friend of mine. Singer McQuarrie sent the screenplay to Spacey. Didn't tell him which role was written for him. He assumed it was either uh, Chaz's role or uh, or the Gabriel Byrne role. But they wrote it with verbal Kent in mind. The role of Redfoot, for some reason, was offered to, as you mentioned earlier, every actor in Hollywood. Um, just a short list. Who knows if it's true? Walken, Tommy Lee Jones, Bridges, Charlie Sheen, Spader, Pacino, Johnny Cash. And uh, and they ended up with Peter Green, who we'll talk about. Can in a you second. imagine Johnny Cash was just in the middle of this movie as Redfoot? It kind of would have made sense, right? I, I guess been, so. But Johnny Cash was young in 1995. No, true. And then uh, we mentioned Byrne was dealing with personal problems at the time. Backed out for 24 hours until the filmmakers agreed to shoot the film in L.A. where he lived and agreed. He's to going make through it. a divorce, right? Yeah, yeah. Agreed to make it uh, five weeks. Why didn't they make instead of having it Redfoot? They could have had it just be the John Voight character from Heat, and it could have just connected to the Heat universe. Why? Why weren't we consulted? There's still time. <laughs> He's still alive. Hey, Heineken would like to remind you that it's time for seasonal beers again. That's right. If you thought a cold, crisp summer Heineken was something, just wait until you taste the Heineken Fall lineup or Autumn. Are you a fall fall guy or autumn guy, Chris? I'm a. I'm an autumn guy. I love autumn. Yeah, I like autumn too. I don't feel like West Coast is an autumn. We're on the West Coast. It's not really autumn. So maybe it's more fall here. Is it a new product? No. Just the same great tasting lager that's perfect for any season. I think one of the things with Heineken, there's some substance to it. So if it's like that 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 one beer you wanted on the eighth hole, be like, you know what? I'm going to have that one Heineken or that right. one at dinner with like with like a nice ribeye. Oh, yeah. Or you can go lighter. You can even go the non-alcoholic if you want. They make they make all kinds of great stuff. They mail us some. Their original lager is made with natural ingredients, with pure malt, and our famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. Definitely a certain weight. Like if you're like, hey, man, can I get you beer? What do you want? Heineken. You're like, oh, Heineken. Yeah. You're going all in. <laughs> Pick up a pack or get it delivered, whatever your style. And drink responsibly. Okay, some quickie categories. Yeah. 
Best that guy, aka the Joey Pants Award. Dan Hedaya, not a that guy. I'm not giving it to him. Okay. There's an unbelievable that guy, though. The guy in the police heist who's the driver. Yeah, man. Who's like, it's you know who you're fucking with? That, Lu- that guy Lu- from the Lu- Sopranos. Louis Lombardi, right? Yeah. Yeah. He that, had a nice Sopranos run, and I, I still don't know what his name is. Those so that's two his, guys together, I think, Madrano, Frank Madrano, and Louis Lombardi, I think they had a bunch of stuff in the mid-90s to, like, that was like a... I, if I remember correctly, they were like a, a pair. Like, they'd show yeah. up in New York street movies, kind of. Vincent Hanna, give me all you got a word. It's McMahon. It's Call McMahon's. it in. It's, it's, it's just... It's give me the fucking keys, cocksucker. Like, what an animal in that scene. So, was there any point where Stephen Baldwin was your favorite Baldwin brother? Like, coming out of this movie, was no, he number I, one I, in I the have, rankings? I've, all, I, I, I've always been partial to Alec. I, I've always enjoyed okay. Alec. Yeah, this is, and this is like really good Alec time right around here. This is like Malice is right around this time. Because so Billy was always third. Mm-hmm. No matter what your rankings were, Billy was third. But for me, like... I don't know. I really like Stephen Baldwin coming out of this movie. I'm like, I'm in. I'm ready for more, <laughs> more Steve. And yeah. then the wheels came off pretty fast. But he left Planet Earth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dan Waiters. Dan Waiters. You could throw some Giancarlo Esposito in here. You little Pete Postlethwaite. I think he's eligible. I'm giving it to Peter Green as Redfoot. Mm-hmm. Such a tough guy, McManus. But do me a favor, right? Get the fuck off my fuck. dick. No. Nope. No. Nope. Put a leash on that puppy. You know, it's an awful shame about Saul getting whacked. Cops are going to be looking for the guys who did it. Sooner or later, they're going to come around asking me. You have a sweet night, ladies. I love Peter Green. You, If you're making a movie like this from 1992 to 2010, you need Peter Green in your movie. Well, unfortunately, Peter Green had a lot of personal problems, which is why we didn't see him in more movies. Yeah, I actually did a Peter Green deep dive last night because I'm like, I don't get it. I love this guy. Why was he market corrected by William Fickner? What happened? Or do we not want to get into it? Drugs. Ah, okay. Pretty bad. According to the, according to uh, the internet. Okay. um, Had some real issues and um, that started to seem like it surfaced in the mid, late 90s. But explains... I don't know. I really like it. Like when you saw Peter Green in a mid nineties movie, you were like, ah, I'm not, I'm not that excited. Like I was the opposite. I was like this guy. Yeah. I mean, the first time I think I saw him, he's in uh laws of gravity. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but he was, that was the first time with Edie Falco. And, and that was a Nick Gomez movie in 92. And that was, I was like, Oh shit. Like this guy is like a, a great, like sort of New York character. And uh, yeah. It's kind of crazy that he's not in heat. I don't know what happened. <laughs> like he couldn't have been Henry Rollins in heat or. Oh, he would have been. I don't know. Henry he Rollins. could have been in the, yeah. he couldn't have been like one of Pacino's crew. I don't know how, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Recasting couch. I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm not a Susie Amos fan. I never got it. I just don't think she's a very good actress. Didn't think she was good in Blown Away. I think Blown Away, the ceiling of that movie is higher if anybody else is in it. I like Susie Amos. I knew you would. I knew it would hurt your feelings. Laura Linney instead of Susie Amos for this part. I mean, it's a pretty thankless part. There's like three scenes. You're really going to waste Laura Linney Is it thankless or does she suck as an actress? No, I think the movie's just like moving so fast that it's like she's only going to be in the movie when she's with Keaton or Kobayashi. So 
it's like you really want Laura Linney. I guess Laura Linney did was you know in smaller movies back then though. I knew you wouldn't like that one. Have fast internet research. We covered a lot of it. Um, one thing we did not cover. Oh, two things. When Keaton is handing out the folders Kobayashi gave them, they're actually handed out in the order the characters die. Hmm. Which I never noticed. Oh, I didn't notice that. This one I'm ready to spend 10 minutes on. I don't know. This could completely throw off the pot out of whack. <laughs> so they did a making of documentary of this movie. Mm-hmm. In that documentary, it's revealed Stephen Baldwin and Kevin Pollack have a long-standing feud that started with the filming of the movie. Neither of them will directly come out and say what caused the animosity. Pollock did admit Baldwin was trying to stay in character and he would go around acting like a shithead and bullying other actors and stuff. Yeah, Burns Baldwin, said he was like he was a kind of a nut job on set, but like a fun one. Yeah. Right. Baldwin admits that he was trying to bully Pollock a little in the film. Something else happened. And apparently it's it's the Tupac and Biggie of uh, independent 90s film <laughs> actors. Just a lot of bad blood bitterness. I'd love to know more. I did I did admittedly rudimentary uh, Google surfing to see if there was more to the story, but couldn't find anything. Okay. We, what, what, whose the, side the, are you on, I guess, is my question. Pollock. Pollock. Yeah, that's how I feel too. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Pollock, is, I think in a... In a in any capacity, I would choose Kevin Pollack over Stephen Baldwin. Pollock was on, and I can't believe it's not on YouTube. And I look like once every couple of years. Pollock, they had this poker show before poker was popular. Like poker after dark or something? No, it wasn't even that. It was four stand-up comics playing poker and just having drinks and telling comedy stories and doing like their bits. And they were all friends. It was like Kevin Pollock. I can't remember who the other three guys were. And he was so fucking funny on the show. There was another guy who crushed it, but it was one of the funniest shows I saw in the entire 90s. And then it just disappeared. But they're hmm. just telling off-color, inappropriate, just like being four, com- four comedians just playing poker and telling stories. He was also an amazing Dinner for Five guest. Uh, incredible. Incredible. And Those are had this Amazon. whole second life as just like this amazing hang. Mm-hmm. Um, and like but, a podcast host, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, super likable, but um, but had a it was in a couple of big movies. A Few Good Men was one of the biggest movies of 1991 or whatever. Pollock might have had like there's you can make an argument that aside from Spacey, Pollock has like the best 90s of this whole cast. You know, yeah. like, he's in he's in quite a bit of stuff. I mean, Few Good Men, L.A. Story, he's in Casino. So I mean, he had a really great great run there. Apex Mountain, Turkish piss streams. Yeah, definitely. Have you ever seen a better Turkish piss stream? <laughs> well, is, is he a Turk or is he Hungarian? He's Turkish. Yeah. Gabriel Byrne. No, I'm going to go Miller's Crossing for him, Apex Mountain. Also marrying Ellen Barkin. I'm going to hurt your feelings. Never been a fan. Of Gabriel Byrne. Yeah, I think he's the same guy in every movie. But that's a cool guy. Yeah, he's just... Dark and stormy Irish guy. It's like, yeah. like you need that guy in every movie. Maybe try to act. Kevin Pollock, I'm going to say yes. Act. Okay. I'm going to say yes for Pollock because he's few good men's in the rearview mirror. This was a huge hit. Uh, he's got, he's a regular on like the Letterman. Um, who else had talk shows back then? Conan, like all those guys, they all loved him. I think, I think 
think uh, this was Apex Mount. Stephen Baldwin, definitely. Yeah. I don't, what was he in? Threesome or Three of Hearts? Threesome. Th- threesome. Not a great movie. Uh, Del- I have a couple more Apex Mountains. Oh, go ahead. Del Toro, no way. No. Paul and Terry, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes because he had so much juice this at this cr- point that was able to get the movie funded. So that's a yes. 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 Spacey, no. Even though it's an unbelievable 95 for him. Peter Green, I'm gonna say yes, because this is Pulp Fiction 94, usual suspects 95. You would have thought, like, what's this guy up to next? And yeah. instead it went the other way. Um, Turkish crime lords. I can't think of any bigger ones. I think this is the this is the point where we were at our height height of awareness of Turkish possible princes of darkness. So the guy in uh, Taken Two, I can't remember <laughs> if he was Hungarian or or Turkish, but he's in the mix. I think. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think the, he tops Kaiser though. I have one more Apex one, but did you have any that you wanted to hit? Limping. Is this the Apex Mountain? Is this the greatest limp ever filmed? Oh wow! Yeah. Right, good one. I like so it. limping, and I would also, and I guess we we've had this conversation earlier in the movie, but is this the best twist in movie history? Impossible to say. I I would still say Chinatown, just because that you know won every Oscar, and right, you know, I have one more uh, Apex Mountain. You're gonna like this one. Okay, the Baldwin, the Baldwin brothers. Okay, so let lay it out for me, Alec is now like an A-list minus star, right? He leads he already Malice. Left, he's already left Tom Clancy, right? He's already left. He did run for he October might, he, in 92, right? One. Yeah. He's considered to be like, uh, he's at least on like the Val Kilmer level as like a major star. It would have it been conceivable for him to be in a Batman, whatever. Yeah. Um, Billy Baldwin. Just killing it in the early 90s. Yeah, he's coming off Sliver. Flatliners, Backdraft. They were really like they wanted Hollywood wanted Billy Baldwin to happen. They gave him every shot. They tried really hard. He was the Jeff Green of of nineties actors. <laughs> kept, people kept trading lottery picks for him. Just wasn't ever working. But the the piece that couldn't come through was the Stephen Baldwin piece. Yeah. But then usual suspects happened. I'm gonna say this was Apex Mountain for the Baldwin brothers. As a Troika, yes. As a Troika. Yeah. Troika. Yeah. All right. I'm glad you agree. I would have been bummed if you didn't agree with me on that because I felt pretty strongly about it. Uh, before we get to uh, the rest of the categories, TikTok, music makes everything better, which is why it's at the core of TikTok's culture. Each time you open the app, you learn something new, whether it's a hot new song, new recipes, words of encouragement, or Chris Ryan's new Al Pacino account that he's going <laughs> to launch after we finish this pod. <laughs> You're bound to find useful bits of information everywhere you look. <laughs> Do you want to do Pacino doing a TikTok read? I was on TikTok a half an hour ago. <laughs> if you happen here, catch a new song or two while you're there. Well, that's pretty great too. Discover more on TikTok. All right. Uh, pick and nits. So Chaz convinces himself that Gabriel Byrne is Kaiser Soze. That Keaton is Kaiser yeah. Soze. This yeah. is where, where he lands. It's his obsession. How do you explain the part where Kaiser Soze becomes a New York City police officer or police detective, whatever it was? Well, this guy it's is not a that man he on the he's force. Kaiser Soze, I think, as much as he thinks everything is orchestrated by Dean Keaton and that Kaiser Soze would just be like a ghost story that Keaton tells or that allows to propagate. 
So Verbo tells this whole Turkish Hungarian, this yes. whole backstory, right. amazing things. You have all of these people who obviously aren't from here who are involved in this stuff, people dying all over the world. And idiot Chaz Palminteri, who doesn't realize Kevin Spacey is Kaiser Soze the whole time, um, doesn't think it's suspicious at all that this one cripple uh, survived the boat explosion where literally everyone dies. So he doesn't have a mark on him. Yeah. Um, and he's convinced that Keaton is somehow pulling all of this off. Right. Little, 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 uh, little bad job by him. Not, not quite as bad of a job maybe as um, Denver not calling a timeout up to <laughs> game seven with the ball with eight seconds left or, yeah. or just trying to play to get fouled or whatever. Um, another pick and net. The way Kaiser Soze is described. As Glenn Danzig. As a tall Glenn Danzig, yeah. Kevin Spacey just not cool like that. Right. But I think that the whole point is that they're using the mythology around the character as a shield. So like what he actually is, who knows? Okay. My thing is, my picking it is that if you take at face value all the stuff that Kobayashi tells those guys in the, in the billiards room, do some of those crimes seem pretty small stakes for Kaiser, Kaiser Soze? Like he's getting involved in some truck right. parts and some and some like some steel. Doesn't he seem like a ninety one million dollars worth of cocaine guy? Not like oh yeah, a van in Buffalo. That was me. I was just dipping my fingers in the Buffalo crime scene there. Yeah, he's almost like an NBA superstar who can't resist. Also, just playing in like the record tournament. Yeah, just right. To get, get some right. shots. It's off. like I guess it's it's good to see him like kind of just always always exercising out there, but I always thought that those were like kind of low stakes crimes for Kaiser Soze. If he is in fact who we think he is. Best quote, we mentioned a couple, a rumor's not a rumor that doesn't die. I'll find them. Boys to die. A rumor's not a rumor that doesn't die. What? Nothing. Good one. Well, I believe in God and the only thing that scares me is Kaiser Soze. Keaton always said, I don't believe in God, but I'm afraid of him. Well, I believe in God. And the only thing that scares me is Kaiser Soze. How do you shoot the devil in the back? What if you miss? Freedom. I knew it was Kaiser Soze. But Keaton... It was Kaiser Soze, Agent Kuyan. I mean the devil himself. How do you shoot the devil in the back? What if you miss? Great one. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people it didn't exist just like that. It's gone. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. So let me ask you about one quote that I, I've always thought about, which is when they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to pull the boat job and it's just the four of them left. And at the end of the, they're in the car and the conversation is going and at the end of the conversation, McManus just goes, they say it's raining in New York. There's nothing that can't be done. I just can't believe we're going to walk into certain death. News said it's raining in New York. And it's like this little line, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 
It's such an interesting line because it's not very typical for McManus to be reflective that way. And it's also like, who says it's raining in New York? Like, what are you talking about? But I've always loved it. I always love that they added that into like just a random like McManus staring out the window and they kept that line because it's such a lean movie otherwise. So yeah. it's always stuck out to me. I also really love um, when Kuyan's like, first day on the job, you know what I learned? How to spot a murderer. Let's say you arrest three guys, three guys for the same killing. You put them all in jail overnight. The next morning, whoever's sleeping is your man. If you're guilty, you know you're caught. You get some rest. You let your guard down. Mm. Would you have given Kujan an Italian name? <laughs> you think his name should have been like D'Angelo? <laughs> Dave D'Angelo? Um, I forgot one picky nit. I, the whole beach scene when they find Fenster's body is a little weird. What, do you, what about it? Like that they well that they're like we got to bury the body. It's like you're not gonna bury a fucking body in the sand in the water. Like, but I pulled more jobs ever. and saw more money. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing it as Hannah. Yeah, all of it is just that. That's kind of a weird scene. Uh, could this be remade as a ten episode Netflix show? So, yes and no. Yeah, I don't think you could exactly do it because everyone would know what the twist is, but. On paper, this would be the perfect 10-episode Netflix show. This is the perfect six-episode BBC-style limited series. If you right. were just like, for a week or six weeks or however long you wanted to run it, you were like, the usual suspects, and then the twist, if, if the twist happened in the finale of a six-episode run, like Night Of or Big Little Lies, you would be shitting yourself. Right. It would be amazing. Probably unanswerable questions, other than why wasn't Kevin Pollock a bigger star? Bad job by his agent. Still feel like he could have had one, you know, like like some a, sort of Caddyshack type comedy. Yeah, 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 they, yeah. like they, there's just just wanted more for him. Chaz Palminteri's next day at the office after <laughs> completely blowing it with Kaiser Soze, who just murdered fifty people and also, stole a bunch of I shit. I wish we and, could see Palminteri's face when Esposito's like, "You got a fax." Right. I just there should be a 10 minute movie after just like his next 10 minutes after he goes back in like oh man what happened? Ah, that, yeah, that Dave, Dave can I see you in my office for a second? <laughs> We're reassigning you. You're now doing parking tickets. Did Kaiser Soze marry again? Probably not. No, I think he's a bachelor. Yeah. Never have any attachments, you know, that you could not drop. If you feel the heat around the corner, that's the Kaiser Soze way. Kaiser Soze versus Neil McCauley. I loved Kaiser Soze so much. I did an entire chapter in my basketball book built around him. <laughs> it was the greatest che- greatest teams chapter. Yeah. In book of basketball. And I wanted like the Kaiser Soze team that I thought like the final level of greatness a basketball team could have is that team that's just like, I'm scorching the earth. Right. You all have to die. You right. were, you were all on our path. I think Marcus Smart is over you. Marcus Smart is in the Kaiser Soze zone right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. like, if I have to dive into a guy's ankles to win the game, it's happening. Any other uh, unanswerable questions for you? So the whole boat thing. Yeah, it's a little, still not a sure. Shaky. I understand. I understand what what's happening there, like with the Argentinians and the 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 Turks or the Hungarians. But even if whatever is happening is happening. Can Kaiser Soze not come up with a simpler way of of getting this witness? He's able to do so much other stuff, but the way he's going to get the witness is to have a massive gun battle on a San Pedro pier and 25 guys are going to die. Well, my takeaway is that everyone who's, he, you know, he he wants to get revenge on all these different people and this is the most elaborate way possible to just blow all of them up at the same time, right? 
Yeah. So I don't know that that that's what you do when you're a complete sociopath. Sure, be my guess. Um, who won the movie? So I'm going to go Macquarie because tying it back into what we said at the beginning, where you know you, you you watch this movie with with different eyes now than you did when you first saw it. I think he's the person who. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say he's the author of everything that's good in the movie, but I think that the script is one of my favorite scripts. He's gone on to do so much great work. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to go Macquarie. Who would you have said in 2015? Probably Spacey. I think I would have too. Oh, in 2015? Yeah, I don't know. I guess Spacey. I, I'm, I don't know. I think for 20 years it was Spacey, but now that this movie has kind of shifted a little bit in how we think about it. I think mm -hmm. it's Macquarie because you look at all the good things that happen coming out of it. But in the moment, like 95, Spacey having seven and usual suspects right next to each other and winning the Oscar, it just felt like he was, you know, it, it was like his Tommy Lee Jones moment, basically, where this guy had been around a little bit, we we're familiar with him, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this guy, now he's going to be in, he can now lead movies. Right. Right. Which I don't feel like I felt that way until the end of that year. So who would you say now? I think you're right. I think it's Macquarie. Okay. Um, Stephen, Stephen Baldwin in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I like, we forgot to make the point how, you remember that famous story about Starship Troopers where everyone knows it's a, you know, a parody movie, except for Casper Van Diem, who thinks oh, yeah. who's playing it completely serious the whole time. They just you think Stephen Baldwin thought he was in Dog Day Afternoon here? Like, <laughs> I think he thought he was the star, and I think they had made it clear to him, like, this is yeah, yeah, you're the De Niro of this movie, and he carries himself with this swagger the whole way, like he's the biggest star in the movie, and he's not even one of the five biggest stars. But I enjoy that piece as well. So there you go. Do we hit everything? I think so. I got everything down. We got everything on my end. I'm glad we did this. This was an important movie. Uh, thanks to Spotify. Thanks to Chris Ryan. We'll back, we're going back to uh, now that football's back once a week now for the rewatchables uh, for the next two months. But we have some really good ones coming. It's a pretty big anniversary movies coming up. Though. I yeah. Think 95. Yeah. 95 was a great year. All right. Good to see you. Good to see you too.